Hi, this is Dr. Linda Mintel. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast of the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. Our website is filled with more encouraging interviews, all accessible at MyFaithRadio.com. And welcome to the Dr. Linda Mental Show. I'm your host, Dr. Linda Mental, the relationship doctor. And every weekend we are here and we're doing life together. And we're so glad that you have joined us. My regular co-host, Chris Weigel, is off today. But I have a real treat for you. Dr. Kurt Thompson is joining me in the studio today to talk about his book, The Soul of Shame, retelling the stories we believe about ourselves. So welcome, Dr. Thompson. Thanks, Linda. It's great to be with you. So... You came in to talk about shame, and I promised you I wouldn't make fun of your coffee drink. (laughs) You're going to mention that on the air? He's drinking a very sweet, sugary coffee drink. With lots of fructose, I hope. (laughs) I'm going to wait and see how you handle that in Mm. terms of shame. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Thompson. He is a psychiatrist. That's an MD. People always ask me, what's the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist? He had to go to medical school. He is in private practice in Falls Church, Virginia. He is the founder of the Center for Being Known. It develops resources to educate and train leaders within the field of mental health, education, business, and the church. And it deals with the intersection between something called interpersonal neurobiology. Now, don't get afraid of that. We'll explain what that is. And Christian spiritual formation. He's the author of The Anatomy of the Soul. He's also the author of the book we're going to be talking about today, which is The Soul of Shame that I mentioned before. Dr. Thompson is a board-certified psychiatrist with the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology, and his main focus of clinical and research interest has been in the integration of psychiatry and its associate disciplines, but also with Christian formations. So one of the reasons why I really love having someone like Dr. Thompson on, because he integrates his Christian faith. It is the world view that he has in terms of looking at psychiatry. He also serves as an elder at Washington Community Fellowship in Washington, D.C. He and his wife, Phyllis, a licensed clinical social worker, are the parents of two children, and they reside in the Arlington, Virginia area. You're impressive. Yeah. Well, <laughs> could you please tell that to my wife? Like and your two children? That. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Well, we joke because we're friends is a very accomplished psychiatrist. And one of the reasons I'm so glad that you are here is because when we talk, it isn't just psychiatry. It really is taking the Christian faith into everything that you do. All right. That's what we try to do. So let's talk about our topic today, which is shame. And we were talking about it with the producer. We've not done a show on shame. Mm. And yet mm-hmm. so many people struggle in this area and are gripped by the whole thing of shame. Right. One thing that is noteworthy is that there's been such a huge growth and interest, not just in the clinical community and the research community in the last probably 10 to 15 years especially, but there's also been significant public awareness and growth in that domain about our topic. What Uh, about the church? Do you think the church is aware of how much shame plays a role in people's lives? It's interesting, Linda. If you look at the biblical story, shame, as we say, shows up early and often. It's introduced to the reader at the end of the second chapter, that the man and the woman were naked and without shame. We often ask the question, 
Why do the Hebrew writers say that? Why mm-hmm. do they say that they're naked and without shame? Why don't they say they're naked and unafraid? Why don't they say that they're naked and pleased? There are a whole range of words that they could have used, but they didn't use those words. They used the word unashamed. And that not just primes the reader for what comes next in Genesis chapter 3 with the story of Adam and Eve and all that happens and follows, but you'll see throughout the scriptural texts, all the way through the New Testament and through Paul's writings, how often... Our connection with brokenness and sin is related to and explicitly described in terms of our shame and how often the gospel is seen as that which can heal us from that. Even though, however, it has been part of the history of the church in terms of our text— and certainly in terms of the things that we live, because we all know what it means mm-hmm. like to feel shame. Mm-hmm. The church hasn't really talked about it very much in very explicit terms. But I think that one of the lovely things that's happened in the last 10 to 15 years has been that there's been clinical research that has put this on the public landscape and the public awareness, and that's made it more tangible for us to get a hold of, which is why now taking this data that we're learning from the clinical research and reintroducing it to the people of God Mm -hmm. and saying to them, look, this is not just coming from the scientific community. This is science's way of reflecting what the biblical nature has been talking about all along. So many of our patients that we've seen over the years will come in, and Christians alike, and they've done things in their life and they've messed up like most of us have. Mm. But there is a real sense of shame that sometimes is very difficult to deal with. And I know I've had pastors who have said to me, I know (laughs) I can help them scripturally with this, but a lot of times they're having trouble breaking free from this and really letting it go. So one of my hopes is as we go through these programs, and this is part one of our talk with Dr. Thompson, because this topic is so important, and we do want to help you get free from this whole issue of shame. So we're going to spend two radio programs on this because of the importance. You say we have to talk about this. Why is it important to talk about shame? My sense is, after working with patients over the course of my career and looking at the data, that if we consider shame from a neurology standpoint, in terms of what it does to the brain Mm -hmm. and what it does to relationships, I'm fully persuaded that shame is the fundamental neurobiological, the fundamental emotional feature by which everything that we do that we call sin emerges. We're not calling shame sin. Mm -hmm. It is the emotional workhorse Mm. that does evil's bidding and out of which everything that we call sin, all that we talk about when we talk about broken relationships between people, when we talk about everything that leads to things like states of depression, everything that leads to states of anxiety, most of these things by far and away stand on the hard deck of this particular neurobiological feature that we have had from the beginning as human beings that emerges very early in the life of an individual and that evil manipulates and uses as a way to move us away from God and from each other. It's interesting because you think about a little child who has a sense of shame without having to be taught. That's what right. that is. That's and right. so what's different between shame and fear? Because I was thinking maybe fear <clears throat> would be more that underlying thing that drives us emotionally. Is there a difference well, there? I think there's a difference there in terms of the fact that most studies would look at fear that emerges from a, a brainstem and amygdala, that those are the major parts of the brain out mm-hmm. of which it emerges, but also that we have, under most circumstances, particular options that we can turn to to deal with our fear. We 
can run away.、Mm-hmm. We can、mm-hmm. fight, which is the fight or flight that people、exactly. hear about. If we are overwhelmed by fear, we can tend to shut down, and that can actually serve as a protective mechanism. There's nothing about shame, in and of itself. That serves a long-term purpose, purpose. of either、okay. survival or flourishing, which I think is really important. We're going to get into how shame influences our thinking and our relationships after the break. Stay with us. More with Dr. Kurt Thompson in a minute. From the moment we're born, we're in relationship. At first, we depend on others to take care of us, to meet all of our needs. Then, as we grow older, we make friends, we meet school teachers, later a boss at work and a spouse at home. Every relationship is important. Every relationship requires cultivation and nurturing. And at some point or another, every relationship has its challenges, and they revolve around conflict. Did you know that you can grow through conflict and become such a healthier you than you ever expected? Well, I want to help you look at conflict in new ways. To approach conflict in ways that work. My book, We Need to Talk, can help you become a better problem solver, learn to negotiate differences, and strengthen all relationships, even when conflict seems destructive. Well, let's face it, conflict is an unavoidable part of our everyday life. But conflict doesn't have to overwhelm you or destroy your relationships. We need to talk. An important book by Dr. Linda Mental is written to help you successfully navigate conflict. Find We Need to Talk wherever you buy books online. Well, welcome back to the Dr. Linda Mental Show with my special guest today, Dr. Kurt Thompson, whose website is beingknown.com. That's being b e i n g known k n o w n beingknown.com. We're talking about his book, The Soul of Shame, because shame is our topic. We're so glad to have him. Talk to a friend, tell your neighbor. There's a podcast of this, and we're going to do a two-part show because shame is such an important topic in our lives. And as you're listening, you may know somebody who is struggling with shame and maybe had a somewhat sordid past before they knew the Lord, or maybe somebody who doesn't and is still struggling with that. This show and the next show that we're going to have with Dr. Thompson is going to be very helpful. Before the break, Dr. Thompson, we were talking about how shame is a part of our. Makeup in terms of the sin nature of man. Tell us a little bit about how shame influences our thinking. One of the things that we often do, especially in our culture, is we tend to talk about topics in terms of what we think. When we even consider the mind, for example,、mm-hmm. most people understand or consider the mind in terms of the thoughts that we think. Which makes sense, and that's normal、mm-hmm. and natural. What we're often not aware of is how much of the mind's functions and features have to do with elements that don't really have that much to do explicitly with the thoughts that we're thinking. For instance, the emotion that we feel and the sensations that our body picks up and somehow has to translate to us, and that we have to make sense of, that makes up a significantly greater part of our Mental landscape, even than our thinking does. One of the reasons why shame is so significant is because it is not primarily something that first affects our thinking. It first affects what we feel.、Mm-hmm. We like to educate patients, and when we train clinicians, to have people understand that shame, first and foremost, is an emotional and a physiological phenomenon. 
if that which is creating problems for me is coming to me and is emerging in my awareness as something that I feel before it's something that I think. Of course, this is in brain time. This is in the time that it takes for light to pass, right? It's that kind of speed. It's not going to be something that is easily combated just by simply, quote unquote, thinking differently. Right. Because it is not my thoughts that are the primary mechanism by which it is used and leveraged in my brain. When we first start to invite people to pay attention to this, we want them to pay attention to what do they feel? What do they sense? And in fact, where do they sense in their body this thing that we call shame? When we begin to approach it in this way, we then begin to see how it eventually does affect the way we think. It's instructive to know that shame can begin in people as early as 12 to 15 or 18 months of age, mm-hmm. long before we have language, right. long before we think rationally. Consequently, eventually, It is our rationality, our thinking processes that we use to try to make sense of these things that we feel. So, for instance, in a family where, let's say, there's a parent who can tend to be fairly critical all the time of their children, the child grows up in this environment, and the thing that that child's brain is noticing before he even is noticing the father's or the mother's words of, you didn't do this well enough, or where's the other 8% on the test on which you got a 92%, they are noticing things like their tone of voice, their facial expression, mm-hmm. their body language. Those kinds of things are speaking very powerfully to that child's brain. Eventually, that child is going to start to think things as a way to cope with what they feel, as a way to cope with what they are sensing. It's out of those sensations that come then thoughts of, I'm not good enough. I need to work harder at this. I should have done this. I should have done that. And before you know it, the thoughts themselves begin to take on the most prominent role of how my mental life is operating. To break this down a little bit, if a child feels shame... It's interesting because most of our processing of things is from the nonverbal. It's not from the things that people say. That's right. As the child is feeling this, what you're saying is that over time, the child tries to make sense of it. And that's where the thoughts come in, is the child just trying to make sense of this bad feeling that I'm having that I don't really understand. Sometimes we're guilty as parents of even saying shame on you to a small child. Correct. And even using that language of shame with a child. That's correct. And you can imagine that if you, beginning at a young age, start to use those kinds of words to tell Mm -hmm. yourself things Mm -hmm. about yourself and about the world, imagine if it weren't just your own thoughts. In the book, I talk about this notion of having a personal shame attendant, that you have this attendant who's job it is to walk around with you all day, every day, and instead of it being your thoughts, this attendant's job would be to say every time you don't do something perfectly, they say to you, you could have done that better. Why didn't you do that right? Where is the extra weight that you're supposed to be losing these days? So forth and so on, on and on and on. These small moments that happen dozens of times in our head. Imagine what it would be like to have a personal attendant who is saying this to us repeatedly. We would want to kill them. We would want to get rid of them. But instead, that intent is actually what's going on in our own brain. I think it is useful for us to recognize that in some way, that is exactly what was happening between the serpent 
and mm. the woman in the Garden of Eden. There was a conversation that was taking yes. place in which the essence of that conversation was not just the serpent saying to the woman, well, if you eat of the tree, God knows that you'll be like him. That was true, but he's also saying, imagine what it's like to have a father who doesn't want you to be like mm. him. Mm-hmm. Imagine the message that this woman is getting, not just about God in that conversation, but what she then infers about herself. These are the kinds of things that we then feel, and in order for us to cope with that, we then take on all kinds of behaviors, addictions, Mm -hmm. relational fractures, all kinds of things, isolation, control, perfectionism. These are behaviors that we use to cope Cope. with that underlying shame matrix that's taking place at a very, very primitive level. Why is it so easy for us to go negative like that? Why doesn't the brain say, oh, wait, red alert, red alert, go positive. This is God. God is telling you that he is love and that he's been with you and he's been communing with you every day in the garden. Why is it so easy for us to give in to that kind of thinking? I don't know that this is explaining it as much as it's describing it, that the normal neurobiological feature of shame, what's really interesting about it is that from an emotional standpoint, when we experience it, the one thing that we need most whenever human beings are in trouble is we need other human beings. Mm -hmm. And it does the very opposite to us. Like no other emotion, the very notion of when I feel shame imagining myself turning and looking at you mm-hmm. only tends to cause within me the anticipation that I'm going to feel it even more even strongly. More with me. Yeah. And so it tends to drive me away. It also gives me that sense of if I have to be more perfect, it does give me something that I can do, that I can work on, that can turn my attention away from that emotion of shame, even If that's not going to help me in the long run, it at least relieves me in the short run of how painful that emotion can feel. This is one of the corrections listening to that. Is this why God thought it was a good idea to give us the body and other people in our lives? If we do learn how to have healing conversations, we can turn to each other in the body of Christ and we can be some of the correction for those really negative thoughts about shame. Well, Linda, I would say not only is it something that we can do, I think it's absolutely necessary for us to be in community in order for it to be healed. And that's one of the reasons why I like having you here. We're going to be back in a moment more on the topic of shame and how you can understand shame and then begin to break free from those feelings. Back in a moment. Are your priorities all out of line? Are you running through the kitchen because the sight of dishes in the sink is more than you can bear? Or avoiding the laundry room for fear a pile of dirty jeans will jump up and grab you? Are extra hours spent at work or outside commitments taking a toll on your home and family? Hi, I'm Dr. Linda Mintel, the Relationship Doctor, and if this sounds anything like your house, you may have a priority problem. Getting your priorities in line might feel like trying to rein in a bucking bronco, but it can be done. Here are a few keys. Take small steps. Don't try to attack laundry and housekeeping all at once. Spread the work out and enlist the help of family members. And don't put things off. Piling another dish and a cup in the sink won't help. Instead, try and stay ahead by handling cleaning up more regularly. Look, we all have occasions when we have to hurry off and leave a job or two undone. But if this is your habit, you may need a priority adjustment. And you can do it one step at a time. Dr. Linda, one of our listeners asked this question. Sometimes I'm so overcome with worry and anxiety that I I think I'm losing my mind. 
Seems I've tried everything from drugs to meditation. Why doesn't anything work? Well, I'm so sorry that your life seems so unmanageable and overwhelming. Too often, though, it does seem nearly impossible to live in peace and contentment because of all the craziness in our world. Did you know that God's plan for handling worry is so simple and yet so perfect that you can begin using it today? Did you know that starting right now, you can begin to cultivate a worry-free life? These aren't pie-in-the-sky promises. They're God's prescription for you to thrive and to soar past your anxiety and worries. Try this. The next time you begin to feel overwhelmed by life's pressures and worry clouds your mind with negative thoughts and depression, say what King David prayed. The Lord is my strength and my shield. Remind yourself that my heart trusts in Him and I am helped. I have so much more good news for you. I hope you'll find it in my book, Letting Go of Worry. Thanks, Dr. Linda. Now that's great advice. You can find God's plan for your peace and contentment in Dr. Linda's book, Letting Go of Worry. It's available wherever you buy your books online. You're listening to the Dr. Linda Mental Show with my special guest today, Dr. Kurt Thompson, a psychiatrist who is also the author of the book, The Soul of Shame. And shame is our topic today. We've been discussing that book. You can get that book where books are sold. You can get it online. You can go to Dr. Thompson's website, beingknown.com, and you'll find a link to the book there as well. He's very detailed, and it's very much integrated into the Christian lens of looking at shame from that perspective. And one of the things we were talking about, Dr. Thompson, during the break was the normal thinking of most of us is, Okay, shame, that's bad. Shame, that's bad. It's like mm-hmm. that little voice. When mm-hmm. you were telling us in the last segment about shame and that attendant, I was thinking of those old cartoons of the devil on the one right. side and the angel on the other side right. fighting. Right. It's that kind of voice that's kind of in our head. So what about this idea of getting rid of shame? Well, and I think we'll deal with this even in more detail and depth in the next show. One of the things that we find that is true in our culture these days is that no one likes to be shamed. No one wants to feel that, although we're more than happy to do things that are shaming, yeah, uh, it, it would appear. But at the same time, we're also quite terrified of doing anything that might cause someone else to feel ashamed. We don't want anyone to be left out. We want everyone to have trophies at the end of the soccer season and so forth and so on. Because Unless you're on social media, then oh, you can shame everybody. Exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. One thing to bear in mind is that the biblical narrative is reflective of the reality that shame was an inbuilt natural consequence of what happens when relationships start to move away in disintegrated, disconnected fashion from God and from each other. It is a signpost. It is a warning sign that tells us something is up, something needs to be done here. We need to say, this is what I am sensing, feeling, so forth and so on. Our job is not that we are trying to get rid of shame because shame in and of itself is bad. Our job is to move toward it to be able to say, this is what I'm feeling. I need to be able to encounter someone in which they may feel ashamed if I have to have a conversation with them about something that they've done for which they feel shame. In Second Corinthians, Paul writes about a godly sorrow, this sense that we feel something that tells us that something is wrong in this way, but that is moving me back toward relationship. Okay, now, so explain why that would be different than guilt. Is guilt and shame the same thing? First of all, 
developmentally, shame shows up in the landscape far sooner than what we call guilt does. Children don't start to feel the thing we call guilt probably until they're at least in their 36th month, so three to six years of age, when their brain Mm -hmm. is developed enough and where in which they are able to make a connection between their behavior and what they feel and its impact on another person. They have to have some sense that there is another person in the world that my behavior affects. Yeah, so now we're getting into the development, the moral development of kids and how they have to get older in order for that to happen. Right, right. But shame happens as early as 12, 15 months of age before we have language. And it is a sense of myself. I don't have to have any sense of anybody else Mm -hmm. in the world. Other people are involved in that I have it. But I don't have any sense necessarily of them in the course of experiencing it, which is why it's significant that when a person is experiencing shame in a deep way, it's very difficult for them to come to someone else and say, I'm feeling ashamed of these things. Whereas with guilt, we frequently, we frequently, when we feel it, we want to make a move towards someone else immediately in order to resolve that. With shame... We move in the opposite direction. We move away from people. Consequently, what this means is that when it comes to how we deal with this on a practical basis, we're very reticent to talk about this with someone else because we don't want them to feel that. Mm -hmm. However, the thing that is going to be most likely to help them heal it is to give them the opportunity to put language to these things that they feel And while they are talking about it with you, it actually has the healing effect of changing their brain explicitly because of the interaction that is taking place between them and you, the other person. This is what the essence of the gospel is, that with Emmanuel, with God coming to be with us Mm. in our shame, God comes into the very pit of the very place that we couldn't come to him with because of what it does to us neurobiologically. Mm. When you're saying that, I'm thinking so much about the enemy's plan is always to isolate us and to get us alone and to get us cut off whether that's cut off from other people, but more importantly, cut off from God. And that's so right. that fits in that whole idea of needing to be able to sit with someone, and particularly with God, with those feelings of shame, acknowledging that those feelings are there and they're real, that's and right. then letting the healing part of that begin to happen. Indeed. Is that a, a good way to think about that? Absolutely. I think the most significant thing that is important for us to pay attention to is in What community am I living whereby which I am deeply known enough such that all these nooks and crannies where shame will want to hide out will have the opportunity to be revealed where light can come to that so that my heart, my life, my brain is not left on its own. For indeed, it's mentioned in the first texts of Genesis. First of all, let us make mankind Mm -hmm. in our image. We were made as communal beings. And then in Genesis 2, where God says, it is not good for man to be alone. God knows that being alone is really the essence of what hell is all about. We have so much we can go into with that. And so you're going to have to listen to the next show with Dr. Thompson because we're just scratching the surface. But the takeaway message here is that shame is not something we want you to isolate from and to go off on your own and sit with that horrible feeling. Rather, there's going to be hope and healing in community, in with others. If the church could get this right and be the place of healing and correction and the love of God shown to each other, then we can heal from these difficult feelings and help each other. We're going to deal with more of how to do that in the next show. From all of us here at Faith Radio, we'll talk to you next weekend. In the meantime, remember, 
We're here, we're doing life together, and it's better when you don't have to do it alone. Thanks for listening to this conversation from the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. These podcasts are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and helping us grow the impact of the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. Also, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player, and you'll never miss a show.